Blog Talk Radio. Indeed, there is a war going on around us, all around us. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the war and necessary sin. We thank you, Lord God, that you have made a way for us, giving us ears to hear and a heart, receive the revelation, instruction, uh, and direction of your Holy Spirit who leads us and guides us and lives within us. We thank you for the finished work of Calvary. We thank you for the uh, resurrection. We thank you that you died on the cross. You bought and paid for our sin, our sin to, for our salvation, uh, the remedy for our sin. We thank you, Lord God, that you have become all that cannot be, that you have brought us into the place of eternal life. Lord, you've given us power over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means hurt us. Thank you now that you would give us divine protection, cover these phone lines, uh, these airwaves, these computers, the internet, every the speeds, the space, the whatever needs to be done, that your your spirit will fill and and control these spaces that we now need to do to do your will because we declare that we are here under the mandate of the Most High God, doing the will of God in this time, in this place, and Satan, you will back off. You will not hinder, hide, hold back, or repress the revelation of God to these people. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name for divine covering and protection. No retaliation, God, but that your will be done and that your wisdom, Lord, you said, if amen lacks wisdom, let him ask of God that your wisdom would be granted to us for the mercy uh, and in the mercy of Jesus Christ. We ask these things now. Amen. All right. Well, we have a very interesting title today, honey. Can I just say the necessary sin? The necessary sin. I got to tell you, can I just say something? Before I let you say a word, you poor guy, I haven't even said hi yet. Say hi. Say hi to everybody. Hi to everybody. <laughs> I woke up Sunday morning with these three words on my mind, the necessary sin. And I, sometimes this will happen to me and then I'll say, okay, God, what are you saying to me? Because, I mean, I'm waking up out of a, you know, sleep and I have no idea what I've been doing all night. <laughs> Do you know what you're doing all night when you're sitting there dreaming, laying on your bed? Anyway, the necessary sin. Okay. So. Well, I'll tell you what. Now, this this sounds like uh, you know sin is obviously you know human beings are sinners, and we do a lot of sins. We do a lot of sins, but some people say, you know, I can't help but do this particular sin. I, I have to do it. You know, it's just the way I am. So I'm just trying to deal with. Okay, you now people might be shocked at that title. Well, or, wait a second. Yeah, I know. I agree. They are shocked. I hope they're shocked. You're yeah, supposed that, to, be shocked to be shocked right now. Yes. The Shock necessary. What are they talking about? The necessary sin? I thought we were supposed to avoid sin. But going back to um, people are sinners, you know, people are sinners because they do sin. Right. We, and so we call ourselves sinners because we sin. But are we sinners? Are we made by God originally to be sinners? No, not really. But the necessary sin is a really, really important thing to understand in understanding the goodness and the and the of God and as I said in the the, pl- the log line, uh, to understand the mysteries of the goodness of God. Why does this? Why does he? How does this sin after we're saved? The sin that happens 
bring us closer to God, into the kingdom of God, and bring us to the place of conversion. I think the issue is an issue of conversion, the necessary sin. But honey, can I ask you, first of all, to define for us the word necessary? I know that you spent some time this morning looking that up. Well, let me just say about sin. You know, one of the classic definitions of sin in the book, All Unrighteousness is Sin. Mm-hmm. And sin is from a word that means missing the mark. So mm-hmm. if we're missing the falling mark, short of falling the, short, mm-hmm. there needs to be adjustment. For example, like a scope on a rifle. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if it's not adjusted properly, it's not that that rifle isn't sighted in properly, mm-hmm. it's going to be missing the mark. So God is wanting to sight us in, sight us in <laughs> adjust us so we're not missing the mark anymore. Right. So and what's the are, mark that we're missing? Well, well, we're, that's what we're talking about okay. today. Okay. We, so, all, we all, yeah, okay. And that's you true. wanted a definition here. Yeah, well, you just defined um, sin, which is good. Oh, sin also can mean separation from God, separation anything that separates from God, us from God and makes us feel bad and Yep. transgression of the law of yep. God, yep. The, the spiritual and moral law of God. Do we all kind of know this? Yeah. Sin makes us feel bad. Yeah, but we, we, you wanted to talk about conversion? The necessary sin, which brings us to conversion. Necessary sin. Okay, so what's the word necessary mean? Well, the word necessary, it, it really means, according to the dictionary, it means mm-hmm. essential, mm-hmm. something that's required, uh, and uh, something that is uh, a process could not take place without it. A process. Get that, people. A process, a process could not take place without it. So it means it's vital. It's indispensable. It cannot be done without. It's needed. So I would say it's needed. just a common um, example of this would be a car. It's necessary to have gas to run the car. It's necessary it's to have. Diesel. So in order for that process of combustion and the whole process and of motor, operating that vehicle mobility gas is necessary okay so god is is providing us with some understanding here of the necess- the necessity uh the part of the process that is can't be uh omitted or must be in place uh something that cannot take place without it and we're going to look today at the uh the second word that is linked right with this is the word conversion God does not permit anything that he is not um, also working to use uh, to perfect, perform, uh, complete uh, his work, His workmanship in us. So when you think about what the enemy is doing, know also that God is also working in the same situation, in the same place at the same time to do the opposite thing. So when Satan is trying to um, get us to sin, God can bring things out of that sin. And as we're going to see, but what does the word conversion mean? Well, let's let's look at the before I give you the definitions. Let's look at a scriptural uh, context for this. Uh, in Luke chapter twenty-two, verses thirty-one and thirty-two. Mm-hmm. Now we're, we're going to be focusing a lot on Peter today, or Simon right. Peter, mm-hmm. as an example of of this. Um, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat or separate you. Um, But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Now that, those two verses are really loaded. And this is interesting because the word converted there is not the same word used in the New King James, which I'm disappointed about because... 
The New King James reads this way, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has, has asked for you. What does yours say? Satan hath desired to have you. Okay, so Satan is making a petition here to God for Peter that he may have him, that he may sift him as wheat, that he may what? Crush him. Right. I mean, basically, the, Satan wants to control and destroy every human being. So, but, but it's interesting. He has to go to God to ask for permission, as he did with Job. He had to get permission from God to test Job, as he did with Abraham. Had to go before the Lord God to petition um, for the, the trying of their faith. Right. But some, there are times, too, when we, even as believers... We, we give permission to Satan to have control in areas of our lives. Right. That's a, it, that's, yes, because of the lies we believe. That's exactly right. right. But at this point, it sounds like something, a transaction was being done behind Peter's back, so to speak. But Jesus was letting him in on it when he said, Satan has asked to have you, for, that, he, that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. Now, this is New King James. Jesus has prayed. He's interceded ahead of time, yes. um, you know, uh, before the fact even, that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me. Now, here, here's the word where we're missing the word conversion, and we have the word return to me. But what does the word converted mean, really? Um, does it just mean return? Because what, what does that mean? What does it mean? Return to me, come back physically into my presence, come back to the gang, um, come back to the group. Uh, what does that mean? Just that, That's kind of, you know, return to me. That's no big deal. Return to Jesus. Okay. Uh, but when you talk about the word conversion, you get a way deeper sense of what Jesus was really saying to Peter. And this is where the sin, the necessary sin makes sense. Go ahead. All right. So according to the Vines Dictionary of New Testament words, the word converted there or conversion means to turn about, to turn towards, to turn again, to go again to return from or a turning to. Now, it's, it's similar in that sense to repentance and faith. Uh, there's a scripture about uh, going from to repentance repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus. Repentance from sin and faith in the Lord okay, Jesus Okay, can you read Christ. that again? So it's, a, it's a turning again. It's, it's, it's a return. Uh, Say the whole thing. To, to return to? To turn about turn towards, to come again, to go again, to return, um, a turning from and a turning to. So mm-hmm. it's, it's the idea of turning back to something. Um, uh, and then... Well, also, let, me, let me just say, let me just comment on that turning. That's part of it, turning back to something. But it's also, notice it also is a turning from a turning right. from and a turning to. In other words, it's change. It's a change. You're turning from something, a direction you were going, turning back to or turning. We say back to, but turning to. Here it says a turning from and a turning to. Right. So what was Peter turning from? Well, let's let's look. Let's take a look here too, and just. I, can I just say answer my own question for a second? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what was Peter turning from? Peter was didn't know what he needed to turn from. Peter right. was not in charge of his own um, spiritual development. Uh, we aren't either, but we think we are, and so we get all worried about being religious and self-improvement and da-da-da-da. But Peter needed to be turned from something. He needed necessary, needed, um, had to be turned from something to something. Now, Peter thought 
he was following Jesus. Mm-hmm. He was pretty persuaded. You know, he'd been following him for three years, and he'd been seeing the miracles. He's been standing up for Jesus. He's been passing out, you know, food, mir- miraculous loaves and fishes multiplied. He's been hanging with the disciples, sleeping around the campfire. He's, he's with Jesus. I mean, you can't be any more with Jesus at this point than he's with Jesus. Right, right. But yeah. what? Well, the thing but is, he had in, in, in this in this uh, community community with Jesus, he had developed a concept of what this meant. His perception of what it meant to be with Jesus—that was the problem. It wasn't the physical, you know, presence with Jesus that was the problem. The problem was what, G- what Peter was beginning to see and think and put together in his mind as what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, or what it meant to be with Jesus. And that was the perception that the Lord had to deal with to get him to turn from that false idea. And as we see later, he said, um, you know, we'll go into that in a minute, when Jesus gave him a direction, after you're converted, right. strengthen your brethren. But So he had kind of a false idea of what it right. meant to follow Jesus. Now, As just, we must, as we all do. As we all do. Now, Peter's character, and I, I think we can find ourselves in a lot with, uh, mm-hmm. identify with Peter a lot. He was naturally very impulsive. He's a, he's a working class guy. He's a fisherman. He's he's a he's a pretty much a strict Jew, um, following everything um, kosher. Uh, keeping all the rules. <laughs> keeping the keeping rules. All he's, the rules. He's tender hearted. He's affectionate. He's full of strange contradictions, just like we are. Mm-hmm. At times he was very presumptuous, and then at times he was very Loyal. timid and cowardly. He was self-sacrificing. He said, "Oh, everybody, you know, I'll I'll go and die with you, Lord, right. if necessary." So everybody and forsake you, yet right? Yeah, he was inclined to be self-seeking. He wanted to be, you know, a kind of a big shot in the kingdom. Uh, he was gifted with a lot of spiritual insight. Um, but yet he was slow because he recognized Jesus was the, the Christ. And he was also given over to the opinions of others, as we see in the book of Acts. Right, and, and, and he was slow to apprehend the deeper truths. Sounds he real made, human to me. He made two great <laughs> confessions of faith. Yes, you're the Christ, you're the Son of the living God. And then he denied that he even knew Jesus. Right. But uh, but so this is this is kind of the character... Of all of uh, us. Of, of, ...of Simon. It's a character of all of us that we can... I, Identify with, but uh, when you look at the dictionary too, dictionary definition of of con- convert or, or conversion, mm-hmm. it means to be changed in nature, form, and function. That's what I was looking for. Yep, and it's the adoption of new beliefs changed from one way of understanding and perceiving to mm-hmm. another. That's important. Now, this is, I think, what we're really looking at here, Marjorie. Mm, um, say that again, the last, yeah. Changed from, one, from way. one way of understanding and perceiving to another. Okay, that's exactly right. And then you said um, changed in nature, form, and function. Um, so conversion. Okay, we're talking Jesus, about character transformation. Jesus saw a situation here. He was about to go to the cross. He knew Peter. You know, Jerry defined Peter well with those adjectives, and that's all of us. But Jesus knew that for Peter to be who he needed to have him be, he was going to be need to be changed in nature, form, and function, and um, from his way of understanding to another, you know, to another way. Another. This is uh, this word conversion. Seriously, is the problem the lack of conversion in the body of Christ? 
in understanding the true intention of the gospel of Jesus Christ, his mission down here, misunderstanding that and promoting the misunderstanding as the generally accepted gospel has, is our problem. Because mm-hmm. people have run with their demonically uh, contrived counterfeits of the gospel of Jesus Christ, including concepts like grace, forgiveness, uh, salvation they've misunderstood it until it's and it's it because it is inadequate it is it is not true it's 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 got holes in it so to speak the enemy can come and shoot holes in the gospel we present as the gospel of Jesus Christ and people then say you're foolish to believe that you can't even answer your own questions if this were a one complete and whole gospel it should make sense all the way through and all the way around and there should be you know answers to these hard questions and because people are presenting a gospel that Jesus, and, and Peter had that same gospel, and the reason we know that he had the wrong gospel, the wrong concept, the wrong perception, is because of what he had said in Matthew 6 when Jesus said, um, and I think this was just previous to uh, this Luke 22 verse where you know Jesus said, when you're converted, you know, Satan has desired to have you. But in, in Matthew um, 16, Jesus was talking to the guys, he says, well, who do they say that I am? Who do the, and this is critical. Who do you say that Jesus is? Everybody's going to be asked that question. And Peter had the right answer. He said, um, uh, you know, Jesus said, you know, Jesus, Simon answered and said to him, and this is 16, 16 of Matthew, um, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, using his last name, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. So Jesus was really happy with the answer. But, you know, three or four verses later, not even got out of the chapter yet, and Jesus is saying, um, he began to, in verse 21, and from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised on the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. I don't know what your King James says, but... Mm -hmm. Far be it from you, Lord, that you should not, this should not happen. This should not happen to you. But he turned, he, Jesus, turned and said to him, to Peter, said to Peter, Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. So here we see a very stern rebuke. First, Peter's rebuking Jesus, saying, no, no, no. You're not going to go to the crosses. They're not going to kill you. You're not going to die. This is about the kingdom now, and we could take this thing. I mean, we just went through that procession. They all love you. Son of God, Hosanna, da-da-da. And let's take, this is our moment of opportunity. Let's capitalize on it. Let's, let's go for the, the, you know, the kingdom now. And a lot of us are still trying to do that as well. But Jesus rebuked the enemy, the devil, who was speaking into Peter's mind and, and, and heart, and it came out of his mouth, what the heart is full of the mouth speaks. At that moment, Peter was not giving a, a, an expression of the truth as he was previous moments before, possibly, when he was saying, you're the son of God. So, so we can be a great mixture of, of understandings. Well, we can be... Tor- you know, the thing is, he, here he has this great perception uh, uh, recognizing the revelation came to him from the Father, mm-hmm. Jesus said that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the Living God, and then Peter then kind of shifts over well, into act- the human side of this. Is is like well, here's you, the deal. As you said, he, he didn't change. Said, we don't want you to go. Yeah, we he, don't want you to go to the crowd. We want to stay with you. We don't want to see this happen to you. But he did not understand. He did not perceive 
uh, the value and the purpose of the cross. That's exactly right. He did not understand the purpose. He still had the identity right. Jesus is the Son of God. He didn't change from that. But his idea of what to do with this concept of Jesus as the Son of God was his human thinking, his reasoning that was promoted, provoked by the tempter who wanted him to to provide disunity uh, and a direction that Jesus had not wanted or wasn't it wasn't acceptable to the Father. And so his identity idea was right. He didn't change, oh, I decided you're not the Son of God. No, he stayed firm on that. But what, he, what do we do with this now? Jesus is the Son of God, and we got Jesus talking this nonsense as he's going to go to the cross. It's going to ruin everything. This is going to be, whoa, this could be really bad. This could be the worst of everything because we could all end up losing our lives over this crazy deal. Because uh, if Jesus is going to the cross, then what's going to happen to us? You know, that sort of thing. And, and Peter had asked that question, something like that earlier when he said, you know, we've given up everything to follow you, so what do we get out of the deal? So Jesus, from these little little hints, of what we see Peter doing, saying, thinking, and responding, we see that Jesus knew that Peter needed to be converted. He needed to be brought on board, completely on board with the whole message of the gospel, which included the death, the cross, the resurrection, um, and Jesus, you know, laying down his life. So in that in that conversion, he had to be changed. There had to be something in Peter's nature that had to be changed. Um, something in the form, something in the function, something in his comprehension, um, from you know, you know, from the way things were to another way. And I believe that way of conversion is rare because people, once you're converted, you know, um, then you're able and capable of strengthening your brethren. What from what from the from the discouragement, the weariness, the confusion that the enemy lays upon people that causes them to be scattered and to lose their way uh, in their following of Jesus. So. So he was saying that you needed to be really converted in order to strengthen your brethren. Let, let me talk mm-hmm. to you, Margie, about this conversion, yeah, this transformation process. So, so people, you know, uh, there are people that give just lip service of mm-hmm. faith to, to to the Lord. They're just professing faith in Jesus. Right. And there are people that are actually born again. Mm-hmm. Then there's this process of discipleship. There's people uh, who are born again who are not prepared. Sanctification, being set apart for to God, mm-hmm. and then and so, can you be born again, the being discipled, be sanctified, set apart unto the Lord, mm-hmm. and yet not be converted? Absolutely, okay. totally. So, so, so what does that mean? So a lot of people can go through this whole process mm-hmm. for a lifetime and have and still not be converted. Yeah. In their heart. Yeah. They can still have these presumptions. They're not changed in nature, form, and function. They're not transformed. They're still, uh, you know, a a lot. It's it's a mixture of spirituality, carnality. It's this big conflict that goes on constantly between our soul and our spirit because we're um, trying to be good, trying to heal the sick, trying to preach the gospel. And, and, and this becomes very frustrating because, of course, every time you try to do something, you're bound to fail at some point or, and sooner or later. And so then we fall down, get mad, kick ourselves, get mad at God, uh, look for another solution, whatever we do. And it, it, it pulls us away from the steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord face and response to um, the, the direction of the Holy Spirit in us. So I see there's a lot of people, a lot of you know believers mm-hmm. that are victims of a lot of 
church, denominational, mm-hmm. theological, mm-hmm. humanistic clutter that's keeping people from mm-hmm. really becoming followers of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we think that being a follower of Jesus means we stop sinning. And that's the the goal. The goal is to be good and stop sinning. And obviously, or at least do minimal sinning. Yeah, yeah. Or or you know try harder not to sin or yeah, something. Yeah. And so sin becomes a preoccupation with the whole lot, with a whole lot of people. When indeed in God's uh, economy of things, our preoccupation is not to be with sin, but with the Son. S O N, not S I N. S I I, all about me, I in the middle of sin, all about me trying to get rid of my sin, be good, make God happy, blah, blah, blah. But being involved, when it's not about me, when it's not about my sin, then it's obviously no longer about me. If I have sin in my life, if I need to be transformed, perfected, corrected, that is the job of the potter, not the job of the jug. Mm hmm. So if I am, I'm focused on sin constantly, I'm going to be sinning. Oh, yeah. And you're sinning because law. you're focusing on the, the very thing that you're focusing on is a sin in itself. Yeah, yeah. But because the Bible says, listen to this, in First John chapter, uh, the first, the gospel of John chapter one, John is writing to believers and he's saying, not, not if you sin, but he says, when you sin, confess your sin. Yeah, he's first faithful. John, first John, not the gospel of John. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, you know what? In my head, I said First John, and in my mouth, oh, I said Gospel John. But thank you. First John. That's why you're here, honey, to yeah, keep this I, ship I, on the I have some on the road. To keep this ship on the road. I have some usefulness at times. <laughs> Cars okay. are on the road. Ships are in the sea. Okay. Um. Anyway, so yeah. Uh. So he was. He says he. Here's the here's the remedy when you sin. When you're tricked. See, really, we sin because we choose, yeah, there's your free will, it's your fault. No, no, listen, listen to the rest of it. You choose to believe a lie that you thought was the truth. It was dressed up, presented to you as a good option, a truth, common sense, logical, reasonable, God's will. A lot of times, you know, we don't think it's necessarily because, oh, this is the truth. See, can I... We don't think that way. We think... uh, This this is is God's will. Listen, Jesus said they were going to do this. They were going to kill each other in the name of God, thinking, believing they were doing God a service, thinking they're in the will of God by chopping the heads off of Christians. Mm -hmm. They're believing. So he's saying that they don't even see that that's a sin. They think that that's a service. Serving, serving that's God, twisted. Serving the cause. Okay, that's very twisted. But the thing is, we all get caught in this thing, don't we? Mm-hmm. Sinning, uh, believing that you know we're, uh, but he, but God says when you sin, when you fall short of the mark, then what? Well, it says confess and uh, repent, change repent, your mind, change your mind. God will so forgive it, you. He'll forgive you. Um, and then there's another verse that says, "Be sure your sin will find you out." Well, the thing is too. That there's so there's going to be sin. There's a whole deal. Part of this conversion there is the change of nature. Now, are you mm-hmm. allowing? Mm-hmm. yourself to operate according to uh, your second nature. You know, we're, our first nature, as you've said so many times, it's that we are we're created in the likeness and image of God. That's our first nature. But that, that first nature has been subdued, overwhelmed, mm-hmm. cluttered, nullified because we have believed lies and allow sin to kind of be in control and the consequences of that. And so what happens is that there is a new nature 
Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah was prophesying there, excuse me, regarding the new covenant, mm-hmm. that God would actually write his laws in our hearts and in our minds. Right. So there would be a, a new nature. A, Peter said that we are partakers of the divine nature. Right. So and- he, he really, see, he really, he did get it pretty well uh, later on. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the conversion process did happen, and um, but, he said we're, we're partakers of the divine nature. That he got that is part of the conversion. He never saw that before. That he was a partaker. He thought he was a participant, but not necessarily one who was totally immersed in, and it had taken over his life. For example, um, when you said um, our first nature. Uh, is nullified by the things of this world. Well, in our eyes, that's what the devil's trying to do, is nullify any qualifications, any made in image of God concept that that God would have us to have. But in God's eyes, it's not nullified. We're still made in the image of God, but we're so slimed and, and thrown into this mud pit puddle that we don't see ourselves as anything but filthy and dirty. So when the Bible talks, when Jesus talked in the Our Father about sin, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil, um, you know, this this sin, this transgression against is, is going to happen. And the whole point of grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ is not to avoid sin, uh, not to live, you know, without spot or blemish in a sinful world, you know, in terms of if you're constantly living in the mud pile, you're going to have every day, you know, all you're going to do is try to keep your garments from getting muddy. That is not the point. The point is to be transformed, to be, to come into a new sense of who, we are, and that we are not doing this under a, a mandate of conditional love, and I've got to do this and be good, otherwise God won't love me. It is to come into an understanding that conversion is, the, uh, is all about love and relationship. And when Peter was serving the Lord by passing out loaves and fishes and you know, uh, preaching the gospel and healing the sick and whatever he was doing before his conversion, he was, you know, Doing that, I would say, out of the wrong, um, you know, under the the under fear, under fear and not love. So, sometimes we think of like, um, well, like the Apostle Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul. Yeah. Let's look at him for a moment. Talk about, you know, he and he's on the road to Damascus. He's going out. He's he's a persecutor. He's like an ISIS guy. He thinks that he's doing. I know. He's think he's doing God a service yeah. by by killing Christians and throwing him in prison and stuff like that. <laughs> Jesus appears to him mm-hmm. on the road to Damascus, knocks him down. He's blinded for three days, uh-huh. and then he he we we talk about this was his conversion. Yeah, and he was well. This was this was the beginning. One of the be- a beginning point, I would mm-hmm, say, mm-hmm. of his conversion, because after that, you okay. know, he now, he went into Arabia. Galatians talks about that. So both of these men, Peter and Paul, had these tremendous conversion experiences, right? And and both of them were coming out of a misconception. Now think about it, Paul. He is diligent, zealous. He is. He believes that he is protecting and defending God, the Judeo uh, uh, traditions, the law, the commandments, and that these uh, Christians, these renegades, these 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 uh, cultists, whatever they were, just they, these brutish cultish. Uh, uh, what's a word you can just? They were so 
rebellious Rebel- against the strictness of the law and the, and, the, and the commandments. And Paul was totally convinced, totally convinced. There was nobody that could sit him down and reason with him, uh, counsel him. Right. He needed a conversion. He needed, you know what? The blindness in his spiritual eyes had to be removed. And the way God did that was to put a blindness in his physical eyes yeah, exactly. for a while. Exactly. And, and, and so the thing is, these, these men are absolutely convinced they're doing the right thing. Peter, Paul, you, you may be absolutely convinced you're serving God, you're wearing yourself out, you're putting your kids on the altar of sacrifice so that you can go be, you know, serve God in the ministry and your family is left in the, you know, where in the left bushes. In the lurch. Yeah. And, and, and yet, and, you're, and nobody's going to tell you nothing, but God is going to allow a necessary sin to come into our lives so that we will capitulate, we will surrender, we will come to our senses, we will be changed, we will be transformed, our nature, our focus, our form, our function will all be brought into conformity to the image of Jesus Christ. So there is an instantaneous type thing. Just, so what is the root of this? Here's, here's the deal that, you know, you like to see people that from the time they put their faith in Jesus, you can see that they're, they've been changed. There's there, there's a a difference. There's a new, they they become right, right. a new creation. Right. And so, but this whole thing, there's conversion. There's an instantaneous act of God that brings people to faith and repentance. And there's that new nature begins to flow. A new creation begins to emerge. But this conversion. It's not. Sometimes we think it's an instantaneous. Oh, I'm converted now because I became a believer. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily so. This conversion, this. Um, what well, you know? What can this, I say? Something. This change, uh, the adoption of new lease to be changed from one way of us of us understanding or perceiving to another. That's that's a growth process. Well, here well. here's the deal. Conversion. Some people talk about false conversions. They're mixing the word conversion. They're mixing it up with the word salvation. Um, for exa- and salvation and conversion are not the same thing. What right. Jerry's talking about is you're saved. You're born again. You're, you know what? Our, our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And it says in uh, Revelation, I think it's 3, 5, something about blotting our names out of the Book of Life, or the name will be blotted out of the Book of Life. So here's how I see this going down. So God foreknew everybody. God is not willing that any should perish. God wrote all our names in the book of life because he's not willing that any should perish. Those names, however, are not activated yet. They're there. They're, they're eligible. They're recognizable. They're eligible for activation. When you accept Jesus Christ, that activates or highlights or quickens or uh, brings your name into a place of, of, of life. Activation. So you're now active. You're saved. You're in the kingdom of God. Salvation is not the same as conversion. You can be saved and have a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of wrong doctrine, a lot of wrong beliefs, be programmed, be full of, you know, compulsive controlling habits, all kinds of things. And, and, and God is in the process of, by the Holy Spirit, we're his workmanship, of cleansing us, cleaning us as we follow the Holy Spirit, as we follow him. That's called following Jesus' discipleship. That's called, you know, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, reading the word of God. All of that stuff brings us into a place of being 
uh, made more and more and more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ in willingness to submit, surrender, die, blah, blah, blah. But this conversion has to do with understanding really the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the bottom line of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not fear. It is not fire and brimstone and hell and damnation. God is more aware of damnation and hates it more than we can even comprehend. But he's He's not willing that any should perish, but he's also not willing to force anybody to go to heaven. Mm-hmm. So he realizes the, that we're in a critical place here. So it's like, I don't know if they still do this very much, but it used to be you know conversion vans, okay? You would buy a van, kind of the shell yeah. of a van, vehicle, yeah. and then you'd take it to a conversion van place, and then they would furnish it. They would change it into like a, a house, almost like a, mm-hmm. a, a small motorhome. Okay. So, so salvation is well, God. You got the van. Got the van, and and then the conversion, the firm changing, the refurbishing, the mm-hmm. changing, the the transformation, the, all the appointments is, that need to be mm-hmm. placed within there. That's what this process is going on. And and let me let me ask you this, Margie, um, about it's interesting in Matthew eighteen. And verses uh, 1 through 3, at the same time came the disciples to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? There you go. That's the and problem. Jesus called a little child unto well, him <clears throat> and set him in the midst of them. Okay, so here's the pro- they're still in a carnal mindset. They're still trying to think, okay, who's going to get first place, second place? Who's going to win? Who's going to be vice president? Who's going to be, you know, the CEO? That's right. And, and so they're, they're still in that carnal human human kind of mindset. Jesus says in Matthew 13, he says, he answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. That's why he was speaking to the people, the others in parables. Um, God wants us to know the mysteries of the kingdom and this necessary sin. If Peter would not have sinned, now let's go back to Peter for a second. If Peter would not have sinned, he would not have come to the end of himself. He would still be thinking, no, 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 the kingdom now, cross never. Um, he would still be thinking, who's greatest? What's in it for us? Um, you know, and these are all carnal ways and uh, human ways of trying to make it worth our while. What's in this for me? Mm-hmm. You know, and, 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 and to, to completely abandon that concept and, and be selfless and be totally committed uh, as sons and daughters, ministers of the Most High God, citizens of heaven, uh, soldiers, so to speak, dedicated to the cause, he had to be totally converted. Now, look what happened to Peter and the parallels between Peter and Judas. Yeah, let me, let me just read that in the scripture okay, here. Sure. Luke 22, uh, 54 through 62. And uh, it says, And they took him and led him. And that's, of course, where Jesus has been arrested there. He was preparing to go to the cross. And brought him into the high priest's house, and Peter followed afar off. He's still mm-hmm. following, but he was following yeah, afar off. Yeah. But when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall, they were sat and were sat down together. Peter sat down among them, and a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly, and earnestly looked upon him and said, "This man was also with him." And he denied him, saying, "Woman, I know him not." And after a little while, another saw him said, Thou art also of them. And, and Peter said, Man, I am not. 
Mm-hmm. And about the space of one hour after another, confidently affirmed, saying, of a truth, this fellow was also with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while well, he had spake the cock crew. So, you know, Jesus said before the cock crew, what, three times you should, twice you should deny me, three times, mm-hmm. I believe it is. Mm-hmm. And the Lord turned, verse, here's, here's a, I would say, quite a conversion, uh, an important, a key point in the conversion of Peter. Mm -hmm. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, that the Lord had said, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Now, what happened when Judas betrayed Jesus, he went out and hung himself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Peter uh, went out and wept bitterly. You know, Judas had remorse, felt bad that for what he did. Peter felt bad what he did, but there was repentance there. Well, that's uh, the difference. He went out and wept <clears throat> bitterly, and the Lord turned and looked up. Can you imagine how Peter felt at that point? Can you imagine how Jesus felt at that point? Oh, yeah. I think that's what's, what broke yeah. Peter's heart, was to realize that he was loved, that he had let down the only one who ever really, truly loved, loved him. him. That's right. And that Jesus was sitting there not only now suffering for his own stuff that he had to go through, but suffering to see Peter suffer. And this is where Peter realized that he had failed to return that love. And that's why the kingdom of God and conversion is about the love of God. It is not about the wrath of God. It's not about hellfire and, and brimstone. Uh, it is about understanding the love of God. And it's understanding that we must get rid of our own carnal, demonically uh, sourced concepts of what the kingdom of God is and looks like uh, and what it's meant to be. Um, We need to get rid of the, we, I shouldn't even say it that way. We need to, we cannot get rid of the spiritual blindness and the prejudices that the God of this world has programmed us into believing and that the, the counterfeit gospels plural, that Satan has created all around us, and then the confusion. The only way God knew that this was going to work, because he knows the enemy. And see, that's another thing. We don't even believe there is an enemy. Uh, that enemies convince us that he doesn't exist, and so therefore all this bad stuff has got to be my fault or God's fault. So we're either mad at God or mad at ourselves, and therefore nothing gets accomplished for the kingdom of God, because we're all sitting around po- poking our fingers at ourselves or blaming one another, and it's not about either. It's not about any of that. It's about the war that goes on between God and Satan. And we need to be wise that we're soldiers in a very critical battle. There's life and death. There's, the stakes are high. But so when, when Peter, that, that piece about love. So what did Peter do? So he, he slipped into a place. At that moment, he was tempted. That's where the temptation was. To hate himself, give up, think God's mad at him. How many of you, I, I, how many of you have been in ministry, I just talked to someone very recently on this very thing, been in ministry for three, four decades, okay, served God, worked hard, um, gave up a lot of things in his life to do the gospel, missionary here and there, uh, didn't have any earthly goods, much, you know, and, but he was never really, I would say, truly converted in his heart, never really know the, knew the true gospel, always knew that version of the gospel that brings a bit of uh, coercion, damnation, threat, 
Love does not threaten. Love does not grab you around the neck and say, if you don't do this, if you don't serve me, then you can't be with me. That is conditional love. That's all we know down here, but that's not what God knows love to be. But he believed that he was loving and serving God. To him, serving God meant loving God. And, and um, so as long as he could serve God, he was good. But then what happened is his dear, precious um, partner, wife, died. And she had been his Holy Spirit. She had been the one who'd kept him on the straight and narrow. However, the straight and narrow she was on was maybe questionable as well. It was more about works and, and striving and uh, being perfect disciplined and you know, don't go back to the old corrupted life of drugs and sex and rock and roll, blah, blah, blah. So when she died, in the, in the, in the grieving process, and Peter's going through a grieving process here, this man began to grieve and slip back to the very things that he had walked away from for many years, but now slipped back because of weakness, grieving, sadness, sorrow, you know, the, just the dis- disheveling of the mind and the heart. And you don't know where you're at. You're confused. You're lost. And so, and he began, he found himself doing some of the things again that he had turned away from. And at that point, super condemnation came on him from the devil that now I've lost everything. I've lost my reputation. I've lost my three decades of good works. Um, I, 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 and, and then what happens, happened is his physical body began to crash under this, this, this fear, this, this anxiety. His heart began to race and skip beats and, and get weak and feel like he's pounding and having a heart attack and everything else that goes on with your poor little heart that can't handle all this spiritual assault. And, because the fear was a fear of damnation, a fear of being lost, a fear of being, um, this was a necessary sin. He had to go through this fall. Peter had to go through this fall to realize in the denial, in the turning back, that he had not yet really embraced, comprehended the forgiveness, the grace, the love, the mercy of God. Because when Peter got through this, the first look, Jesus looked at him, Peter crashed. You know, this man is crashing, thinking God has forsaken him. I said to him when I heard his story, I said, good, good. Now maybe you'll get converted. Because conversion means I am loved. It doesn't mean, okay, I'm loved. Now I have a license to go out and sin and do all the sin I want. It is, I love you. You love me. I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to sin. God, I don't want to turn away from you. Um, Yeah, I may get tricked once in a while by the devil to, to do something stupid, but God, you sent your Holy Spirit to live in me, guide me, lead me into all truth and triumph, so you're going to take me through this. So now, once Peter got converted, when Paul got converted, when this man gets converted, when we stop believing that, am I, am I making this gospel distinctive enough to understand it different than the gospel that possibly you've been believing? This gospel of good works and go to church and, and you know, uh, be good. and the, the From the gospel of grace of Jesus Christ, which says, Peter, I saw you do that. I knew you were going to do that. I prayed for you. This has been the, de- the devil. He has prayed to have you. This is how he tried to crush you. But I prayed for you. And those three days, I mean, Peter wasn't at the cross. He, wasn't at, he was way back, but he wasn't at the foot of the cross. I mean, we don't know where he was. Um, he didn't show up until he somehow must have got back with the gang uh, you know, because when they ran to tell him about the tomb being open, they knew where he was. So he was back there somehow. He'd gotten back. Maybe somebody went to 
get him back, talk him out of it, talk him down. I don't know. Judas had no one to talk him down, and he went off and went into that place of total despair and, and hung himself. And that's between him and God. But, and that's a different story for a different day. But so, so Peter, okay, was halfway reconciled enough to go when Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. Now, notice this. Okay, here's a girl who got converted. She was, had seven devils cast out of her. She was a harlot, a prostitute, a runaround, trash. Everybody gave up on her. She had a reputation of being, you know, I'm sure a prostitute, a loser. And I don't know how she got connected with Jesus. I don't know. Maybe she heard something. Started hanging. He took enough time to cast seven demons out of her. She ends up converted because she got it. She says, he who is forgiven much loves much. You cannot love much if you've not been forgiven much yourself. You cannot forgive unless you've been forgiven, and you need to forgive in order to be forgiven. But So she's the one who ends up at the foot of the cross, this gutsy little girl who had seven demons, who saw the power of darkness, and now saw the power of God, who walked in that power of God, the love of Jesus, not, I've got to be good now, I've got to be loyal to him because he just saved me. No, she was there at the foot of the cross with Mary, the mother of Jesus, she was the first one at the tomb. She was both. She didn't care. There were soldiers there the last they heard. And, and how does she know they're not? And she's just going to go over there by herself, not taking any big strong man with her. Another woman went with her. They went to the tomb to finish the work of, of you know, the love, the act of love of, of putting Jesus's body in these herbs and spices and anointing him for burial. She was going to do it, man. She wasn't afraid because love was greater than fear. And so she gets there, and the first thing Jesus says to her, well, you know, she doesn't even recognize him, okay, because she's shocked. She doesn't recognize But he, she figures out who it is, and then he says, go tell Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. Be sure to tell Peter, Mark 16, 7. And, um, so Peter was the only one he named by name. He says, but go your way, he said to her, uh, tell his disciples and Peter. Mm-hmm. So that he goeth before you into Galilee. There you shall see him as he said to you. So, but uh, Peter didn't wait for any of that Jesus to come. Then at that point, G- Peter ran to the tomb. Number to the one, tomb. I don't think he believed Mary Magdalene, uh, and maybe he did, but maybe he thought she's, you know, maybe that somebody stole the body and he's going to go investigate this for himself. Well, women could not testify in a court of law. Women weren't time. much back then, you know. But yeah, Jesus elevated yeah, them. He, he certainly did because Mary Magdalene, this former demonized prostitute lady uh, was the first evangelist human evangelist of the re- that yeah. brought out the She's cool. message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ because she had been forgiven much because she had the right gospel because that gospel she made her fearless love. she had the love and when you the get the right gospel and get converted you will be fearless and that's what the martyrs were they were fearless because they had the right gospel and Peter had, was able to convert them, strengthen them, because they had, you know, he'd been converted, so he was able to strengthen them. And the same with Paul. And that's where we're going to have to go now, because you can't be the remnant without having, being converted. You can't practice this gospel. You cannot practice any of this without the power and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But going back to Peter, then on the lake shore, okay, we have the final, the, the, the first and, and uh, the conclusion of the conversion process, and you have the final words, and what was the exchange? Well, yeah, this was in uh, John chapter 21. Uh, let's see. 
Well, that, that it goes through that whole chapter. Basically, mm-hmm. Simon Peter, uh, in verse chapter 21, verse 1, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, which is the Sea of Galilee. And on this wise, he showed himself. So, and, and then, and then the setting is Peter said, I go fishing. There's three. Back to his old. Back to the old thing. It's mm-hmm. like, oh. It's what I know. I'm pretty much what I know. Mm-hmm. And, you know I'm probably not going to make it anymore as a disciple. Right. Or an apostle. And they say to him, we also I've been go, fired. We also <laughs> go with the, yeah, I've kind of fired myself. I've kind of messed up. Oh. Uh, God's mad at me. They went forth and entered a ship immediately. And the, that night they caught nothing. That uh, proves it. I'm, more, I'm God. Yeah. God hates me. <laughs> yeah, it's like okay, we can't. This is not working very well. Kind of embarrassing for you know experienced fishermen not to catch anything. Nothing. What is nothing, God trying not to tell me? Minnow. Sure, he's mad at me. I just knew it. <laughs> but in the morning was now come. Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not it was Jesus. And Jesus saith unto them, Children, have you any meat or any food? And they answered, No. And they say, you know, he says, tell, tells them to cast the net on the right side, and they um, they uh, uh, cast it and drew in a multitude of fishes. Mm-hmm. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said unto Peter, "This would be John." It's not that Jesus didn't love Peter, but it is the Lord. Now Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. He girded his fisher's coat on him, for he was naked, or he was just at his outer. He was stripped down to his probably his shorts and his T-shirt or something. And did cast himself into the sea, and the other disciples came in a little ship, and not far from land, and as it were, about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fishes. Mm-hmm. And as soon as they uh, were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and Jesus had uh, fish laid on and bread. So he had, uh, uh, what do you call a fish, fish, fish sandwich? Fish uh, Fish burgers, fish witches. Fish, fish burger, you know, uh, yeah, toasted and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, breakfast. Breakfast, yeah. Mm-hmm. Breakfast sandwich, yeah. <laughs> for breakfast. Fish for breakfast, that's probably good. Simon know. Peter went up and drew the land uh, full of great fish, uh, full of great fish. So he goes from nothing, no fish, to a net full of great fishes. 153, they even had a count on them. Mm-hmm. For all, there were so many at the net was broken. And Jesus had come and dined and so forth. Uh, and then uh, and so the conversation began. They eat. And then in verse 15, so when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Um, what's he thinking? Well, more than these fish or more than these disciples? Or, or more than this um, fishing um, occupation? Do you love yeah. me more than your old lifestyle? Yeah. And he said unto them, Yea, Lord, thou knowest is very this, lovely. Okay, so hold on. So the reward that we get from working in this world, the money, the, fi- the 50401ks, the, the, the retirements, the benefits, the, do we love Jesus more than whatever this world could give us if we worked mm-hmm. hard to earn what we knew how to do? Yeah. Do we love Jesus more than our occupation or yeah, our rewards in this world? Than anything else, yeah. yeah. So he saith unto him, Okay, Lord, he saith, he saith unto him, Feed my lambs. And he said to him the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Mm-hmm. And he said now he's him, pointing to himself, not just yeah, the... Not more than these. Do you, do you, do you love me? Mm-hmm. He said, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said, Well, then, you know, feed my sheep. 
Mm-hmm. And he said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Joseph, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Mm-hmm. And Peter did love the Lord. Mm-hmm. He, in his heart, he did. And then he yeah. said, he said unto him, feed my sheep. Notice this. Notice this. He said, do you love these things? Then, do you love me? me. And then he said again, do you know that you love me? Yeah. And, 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 and Peter said, Lord, you know. You know. You now, know. here's the deal. God was, Jesus was getting to something about Peter. We, you know, um, you know, we try to justify ourselves. We try to explain ourselves. We try to you know, be right. Got to be right. And so we explain ourselves, our sin, or we make excuses. We do whatever we do. And bottom line is, if somebody's accusing you of something and you really cannot defend yourself, you really can't. Because it's just you defending yourself. So, of course, you're going to defend yourself. So that doesn't count. But when you go to the, the bottom line conclusion, Jesus knows me. He knows my heart. Jesus, you know. You know all things. You know that I love you. When you come to that, that is solid rock. That's, that's not me. That's Yeah, that's conversion. That's not me trying to uh, uh, convince Jesus that I love him. That's me knowing that Jesus knows I love him, which is total solid. Wow, that's that's partly how why Peter became a rock. Right. He he became uh, he Jesus renamed him Cephas or Peter, which means stone or rock. Mm-hmm. And he was he was more like sand before, just kind of shifting. Well, didn't you say Simon? The word Simon named Simon, Simon means, means hearing. Hearing. Hearer. So he was hearing. But now he was converted, transformed into a rock of confidence, knowing that God knew his heart. This is conversion. Wow. This is where you trust that the Lord loves you. Mm-hmm. And you, you begin to believe what God has said all along. I love you. I love you. I love you. I promised I won't hurt you. I want good for you. The devil comes along and says, oh, yeah, right, right. Then why is all this bad stuff happening? Well, we know the devil's the one doing all the bad stuff. Yeah. But here, God permitted, Satan actually got hung himself in this one because God permitted him to sift Peter because Jesus wanted Peter to come to this very statement, Lord, you know, I, you know, exactly. I love you. And he said, feed my sheep. And then, and then Jesus prophesies about what's going to happen to Peter. And, then, wait, then, and he says, so Peter got to the place where he knew that Jesus knew what Peter himself didn't yeah. even know. He got to the place where he knew that Jesus knew that even if Peter would be swayed or persuaded or enticed and tempted, which he did afterwards he fell, that Jesus always would bring him back to the truth of what Jesus knew to be true about Peter. So Jesus was doing what Paul said when he said, I have committed to him you know, I've that which I'm able to I'm not able to keep. I've committed to him against that day. So Paul was committing the safekeeping of his salvation, his ministry, his life, his faithfulness to God. He was committing his faithfulness to God back to God and saying, OK, God, you're in charge of keeping me faithful. And God says, I'll send the Holy Spirit. And that is really a source of our strength is that knowing Spirit. that he knows. Notice in the Old Testament, God said, I will write my laws in your heart. And in your mind, in the New Testament, God says, uh, I am going to send the Holy Spirit GPS guidance system to dwell right within you that's going to lead you. Now, a GPS system, uh, I have one, but I can't compare mine to the Holy Spirit because I don't trust mine. 
<laughs> I don't use it. I don't turn it on. I like a, a hardcore map. Now you can say, well, she needs to be converted to GPS. Well, maybe I do. But the Holy Spirit gives us directions. You don't have to take those directions. If you take a wrong turn or think you can do a shortcut and you don't get there, it will, what is that word, redirect you or recalculate or yeah, your path? Yeah, recalculate. So God. the Holy Spirit, God has given the Holy Spirit insights to keep us steady, to keep us, you know, walking, living, breathing, believing, protected in God. God has done basically all of the work. All he wants you to do is follow him, obey. That's, Come into agreement. That's the issue. Yeah. Then then you go to what, what Peter was given to do. Then what Peter yeah, had jo- well, a job to do. Yeah, well, you know, he was going to feed the sheep, and he did. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, verily, verily, verse 18 of, of uh, John 21, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walked whither thou wouldst. In other you words, did you did what you wanted. You kind of did you, your own thing. But right. then when you get old, uh you will stretch forth your hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee where thou wouldst not. You, you know, so you're gonna you're gonna kind of lose control here, but mm-hmm, still, mm-hmm. I I am in control. He spoke this, signifying by what mm-hmm. death he should what glorify God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And 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 uh, listen. Can the, I the say tradition something? Tells us that mm-hmm. Peter was crucified. was crucified, and actually, the, he said he was not worthy to be crucified in the same manner Jesus was, so they crucified him upside down. That's what tradition tells us about well, the that's, that's death good. of Peter. But it was a death that glorified God. Amen. And he was and, a coward no more. And that's true. We hear, you know, persecuted people. That's the difference between conversion and just walking out in, in your in your false gospel. Is At that false gospel, you don't have the strength. You will deny. You will turn tail and run. At the conversion point, you can go through to, to the crucifixion if you have to. But listen, so what what's our fear of conversion? Why do we resist conversion? Maybe we should ask that God will convert us and, you know, get ready. You know, the Holy Spirit, I mean, Satan is asking sometimes to sift us as wheat, but really that process of sifting, that process of conversion is going to go on in everyone whom God has chosen for it to go on in. And for some, it, it makes them bitter. I think that it becomes a uh, uh, tension uh, battle between the fear of surrendering to God because we don't know God, because we somehow believe that God is mean and crabby and just ready to throw the book at us. We don't know what God we're surrendering to, so we're afraid to surrender or admit we're wrong. Uh, but really, what we're, we're spiritually, we're afraid of losing control. Uh, and actually, if you look at that, we're controlled by the fear of losing control. We're controlled by a spirit who's made us uh, susceptible to fear of losing control because believing if I lose control, then I will lose control of my life, my mind, my uh, my reputation, my future, my my strength, my everything. And so I I've got to. And this is where we're terrified because surrendering to God is 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 not the same as giving up. Satan wants you to give up, go away, get mad, gossip, uh, get bitter. God wants you to surrender to Him because. Only when we surrender to God can we truly become complete and be all he, in his heart and mind, knows that we are. Now, the world tells us to take control of your finances, take control of your health, take control of your life. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and and a lot of that is rooted in the fear of losing control. And Jesus said, you well, save your life, you're you gonna... lose it. You lose your life for my sake and the gospel, you'll save it. So it's a matter of the just shall live by faith. That means we give up control of our own lives, yeah. our own destinies. Because we Jesus. believe. That's that's conversion. The, that's, the just shall live by faith, not feelings. The just... From, that's changing from one way of understanding and perceiving to another. That's, that's, that's conversion. conversion. Right. Mm-hmm. And the just shall live by faith. It's always been about faith. It's always been about the promise of God. God gave the promise to Abraham, the promise of being the father of many nations um, and owning all that land. Abraham then acted on his faith, got up and walked to that place that God directed so there was work involved, but it came as a response to the promise, not to get the promise. He didn't work to, to show off that he's the best, most, uh, the best choice for God to choose in the man he's looking for um, so he can you know, bring his righteous you know, uh, salvation of the earth. Abraham was just being Abraham. God was working in him. Abraham was sat under the teachings, we believe, of of Shem and Noah, because they were all alive at the same time. And then Abraham took that leading, took that instruction. God had already selected him for this, and Abraham responded and said yes. Moses responded and said yes. Um, But it's about promise. A promise is built, you know, you respond to a promise through faith, not works. You respond to the promise. And the promise came before the law. The law was a temporary deal. You know, the law is, you know, we're, we're guilty. We need a savior. That's all the law could show us, and that's what it did show us. But now we're still thinking somehow that now that the law showed me I'm bad, the law can also save me. The law cannot save you. Jesus right. saves you. The law, for those who have accepted Jesus Christ, the law has served its purpose, and now the law of God is written in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who knows love, the law, the perfect law of love. All the law has been re, um, rewritten to Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Its law has now been converted, transformed in the believers to love, mercy, and forgiveness. Yeah, exactly. And it really gets down to the same basic thing, it, except there's a different well level of it. It's, Here, here's, the, here's what it gets to. When Jesus called Peter, in, in I believe it was Mark one, uh, chapter 1, uh, verse uh, 17, it was follow me. Mm-hmm. Okay? And it's the same thing all the way through. Yeah, Mark chapter 1, verse 17. Follow me. That's what it is. I will perfect that which concerns yeah, you, Psalm 138. We read in, in Luke 22 where, where Peter went through a time where he followed afar off. Mm-hmm. And there were times where he was not he was following kind of afar off in his understanding, even though he was sitting with Jesus at mm-hmm. the campfire. Right, right. But and then Jesus reiterates this in in uh, John twenty one. He said, you know, he talked. He says, you're gonna. Here's how you're gonna die. Here's how you're gonna glorify God. Mm-hmm. You're gonna glorify God in your death. Mm-hmm. And and he said, follow, follow me. I, I and, believe, and he said he repeated it again in verse. Uh, you follow me, follow thou me in Luke John twenty one twenty two. So it really gets down to this. They say, well, this is too simple, but this is what we need to. This is part of uh, 
becoming converted, Matthew 18, I think, 3, become, becoming converted and becoming as little children, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just simply trusting, mm-hmm. following him. Yeah. And, and and so we that's something, well, that's too simple. It's got to be more complicated than that. Well, How can we, yes, how can you and I, with our limited understanding, our limited perspective in this handicapped situation where we're, we're thrust through and, and withstood on every side, how can we truly comprehend within ourselves the goodness of God, the glory of God, the love of God, without the Spirit of God Himself doing it in us? Yeah. And this is what conversion is. It's, it's turning it's like this. It's like, um, okay, it's like the Holy Spirit. Once you're converted, once you're, um, and I believe part of that is being filled with the Holy Spirit as it was in the book of, book of Acts, but it's like this. When you're converted, you now let the Holy Spirit drive the bus. He is the bus driver. For those of you who are not yet convinced that the Holy Spirit knows where he's going, you will attempt to go sit up in that bus driving seat. You will attempt to drive that bus. You cannot quite reach the, the, the gas. You don't know where you're going. You, you haven't had any driving lessons. You don't have a license. Uh, but you're desi- you, you believe the lie that I can do this better if I just try harder. If I, just, if I do it, it'll get done right. And so you drive the bus. Or you can be converted, trust God Follow the promises. Let Lord, the Lord do his work in you, which includes, you know, leading you. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver. It includes that deliverance. And God delivered Peter by giving him the grace to know that he was loved. Whatever that transformation was, was the conversion. And until we get that, here's what it is. You're converted from the concept that God is not good, that God is somehow mean, that God has got an ulterior motive or a hidden agenda, you're converted from all that garbage, uh, that bad press that God has been given to know that God is for you, that God loves you. God knows exactly what's happening to you right now. God will never leave you or forsake you. He has not left us orphans. As a matter of fact, he has adopted us into his family. And God has a plan for your life that is greater than any plan you could accomplish by driving the bus yourself. As a matter of fact, you're going to crash the bus. However, if you let the Holy Spirit drive the bus, you know what you can do? You can sit on that bus, you can sleep, you can read, you can talk, you can have a nap, you can relax, you can rest, you can be okay, and you will arrive safely at your destination, and in the process, you'll probably accomplish a whole lot more things productively for yourself and the kingdom of God than if you're trying to drive your own life. Trust the bus driver that he knows what he's doing, and he's going to get you to the right place. And then, when you trust him... How many of you, when you do get on a bus, you worry about the bus driver? You worry about the trip? I mean, maybe some, the airplane. You worry, does the pilot know? Some of you probably do because you're just freaked out about every little thing. But most of us, we just sit in the plane, we sit in the bus, and we, you know, we're okay. Because. Leave, leave it up to the pilot. Leave it up and to the that's pilot. just a human person. What about this holy God? Mm-hmm. So I, I pray right now that God will give us a hunger and a desire, Lord Jesus, to know your love. And to know that you know that we love you. And to know that you also know how the enemies try to corrupt, separate, uh, create bitterness, animosity, separation, confusion between the two of us, between us and you. And that you will do your work and your people to convert them. That you are the only one who can do the impossible and the impossible is not impossible for you. And so that you will convert 
the remnant, that people will not be busy about the devil's work of preaching the wrong gospel to thwart the true gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the gospel of love, acceptance, forgiveness, selfless. It's all about the Son, not about the sin. And we thank you for the, the experience of conversion. We pray for those right now who are in the grip of uh, this fiery crucible, this trial, to convert their souls. And Father, that you win. We declare you win. You bring them forth. Out of the, not, not that you're, we're asking you to bring them through victorious. That is the only way you win. Because you don't win without us winning. You don't win without us um, receiving the same blessings, endorsement, embrace that the, the, the prodigal's father was seeking. You don't get that hug. You don't get that embrace until the prodigal comes home. And Lord God, I pray that you can't win without us because you, you'll be sad. You'll be lost. You will not have your family. So, Lord, you cause your victory and your love to prevail against fear and the works of darkness. Father, we ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Join us next week. Hey, by the way, next week, for those of you who are listening, we believe that we're going to have a guest. Um, he's not a mystery guest. He's been with us before. Uh, Doug Woodward, author and publisher of many of the most recent critical books. He's going to be talking to us about the September, the Shemitah, the blood moons, uh, the economic crash, whatever we think uh, might be happening. He's got some things to say. So join us next week for uh, Doug Woodward. God bless you all. Thank you for joining us. I have an emergency. What is your location? Because there's a war for your soul.